Can you help me lift up that name a moment this morning? Come on, are you thankful for the healing power of the name of Jesus? Glory to your name, glory to your name, glory to your name, glory to your name. There is no other name like Jesus. You say, Pastor, I, I'm here today and I can't even honestly tell you I know what to pray. I know what to ask for. I'm not even sure how to put it into words today. I, I, I feel something, but I'm not sure what to say. Let me give you one word that covers it all. Jesus. When you speak that name, when you call on that name, can I tell you, heaven responds when you speak the name of Jesus. Demons tremble when you speak the name of Jesus. Diseases are healed when you speak the name of Jesus. Somebody say that name with me, Jesus. Come on, say it again, Jesus. Hallelujah. And we have gathered here today not to bring attention to anyone, not me, not anybody on this platform, not anybody else in this room. We've come to bring attention to Jesus. He's the star of the show. Without Him, we're nothing. Without Him, we can do nothing. And without Him, nothing happens today. But with Him, all things are possible. We're so thankful that you are here. The beginning of a new year. For some of you, this may be something that you're saying, I want to go back to church. It's the beginning of a new year. I know I need to be back in church. I want to find a new church family. Well, congratulations. You've made a wonderful decision this morning. God brought you here. You're here by divine purpose. He led you here. And I'm thankful for that. And I challenge you to make this a part of your weekly schedule. There should be a few things in your schedule that you don't change or move for anybody or anything. And your time with God in the house of worship should be one of those. I'm going to be in church. If I'm able, I'm going to be there. So thank you for being here today. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Amen. Your relationship with God is like any other relationship. It builds momentum. The more faithful you are, the more you communicate, the more you connect with God, you build spiritual momentum. And as you build spiritual momentum, it helps you defeat giants, oppression, depression, spirits that have been binding you and hurting you and afflicting you, that have brought you pain and misery, sleepless nights. The more you are faithful to the house of God and the more strength that you get, I want to tell you, it lifts you. It challenges and strengthens your spirit to be able to combat those things and come out victorious. Come out on the other side and be who God has called you to be. So thank you for being here today. Esther chapter 4. Congratulations, Sister Kirsten, on your Servant's Towel Award. We don't recognize people around here for great talents and abilities. Not that servants that receive this don't have those, but we don't recognize talent and ability. We recognize servants. Amen. He said the least of you 
the servant shall be the greatest among you. It's why he said, I'm going to wash your feet. You're not washing mine. I'm washing yours. And so we recognize those are a servant to all. So thank you to all of those that have received that in the past and to Sister Kirsten, certainly a worthy recipient. Esther chapter 4. We have read this verse of Scripture as we have been in a series launching into our new year, which has been our theme for the new year. For such a time as this is our theme for 2024. And so we have read this passage of Scripture. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, Someone say, at this time. Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. God is going to bless somebody. God is going to enlarge somebody's territory. God is going to give somebody the greatest year of their life. The decision is really up to you if it's going to be you. He said deliverance will arise. It's going to, get, it's going to happen. The question is, are you going to hold your peace, therefore disqualifying you from this? Reading on, but thou, if you hold your peace, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as this. We have been focusing and emphasizing on the timing of God for the past several weeks. And I have been reminding you, and I do it again today, that you are here at the perfect time, perfect place, and God has you here at this time. If you will respond to God and make up in your mind right now, I'm not leaving this service until I completely surrender and commit and rededicate my life to God, I promise you God can bless you in ways you have not even imagined. It's your time. I want to minister to you for just a few minutes this morning. For such a time as this, made for these days. Made for these days. Did you know you're made for these days? I know it's challenging. I know as you look around, there's wars, rumors of wars. There is conflict. There's problems all over the world. That shouldn't scare you because it doesn't scare or surprise God. And in fact, He made the perfect generation for it. He created the perfect people for it. He custom designed for you. You are made for these days. There is something that God put inside of you that has designed you to not only survive this moment, survive these days, but actually thrive and make a difference even in 2024. Tell your neighbor, you're made for these days. Tell somebody else, you're made for these days. God bless you. You may be seated. We have opened up the year by exploring the book of Esther. And the more that we explore this book, the more we see the similarities between 484 B.C. and 2024 A.D. The entire Jewish nation hinged upon the timely decisions that were made by a few key characters in the ten chapters of Esther. 
It was the ability of these key characters to understand and recognize the significance of the time that they were living in. How many remember when you finally learned or your children finally learned how to tell time? And then you wish they hadn't because they're always reminding you of what time it is. Can I tell you one of the greatest things that you can do as a Christian is learn how to tell time. I don't mean the time on your watch. I don't mean the time on your phone. I'm talking about the ability to be spiritually perceptive and can spiritually discern the time in which you live. That you don't get so caught up making a living, paying the bills and going through life uh, that you forget about the time in which you live. One of the greatest attributes that you can have is to understand and recognize the time in which you live. The ability of these key characters in the book of Esther to recognize that time and to know that God had called them in this moment. That, that ability would determine the end result of whether there would be a complete Jewish genocide or a nation that we'd be delivered. That would hinge upon these characters in the book of Esther being able to determine and see the time in which they live. I do not have the words to adequately communicate to you today the significance of the time that you live in right now. The space that God has called you to reside in. This culture that you currently exist in was foreordained by God. And for you... To live in this moment is not a whimsical chance of fate. But you're made for these days. You were designed for this moment. To briefly recap, the king, Hasurius, in the book of Esther, had evicted his queen because she refused to be humiliated in front of his friends by dancing at a party. A gathering of maidens was brought together and through divine provision, a young Jewish slave girl by the name of Esther would become queen. She was an orphan and had been raised by her uncle Mordecai. Now here she was, queen of all the land. Her uncle, who worked at the king's gate, heard about an assassination plot on the king one day while he was at work. He reported it to his niece who was now the queen, and the two would-be assassins were hanged. This foiled assassination plot would later prove to be a critical feather in the cap of Mordecai. He, in that moment, was also a party to and knew about another individual in the king's circle who had rose to prominence and power, and yet this was an evil man an evil man by the name of Haman. Last week we had reached a critical juncture in the reading of our text where Haman demanded that everyone who approached him or saw him bowed down and reverenced and essentially worshipped him. Now Mordecai was a Jew and he believed that only God should be worshipped. And he refused to bow down to this king's high employee by the name of Haman. And this was a decision that Mordecai, as a Jew, based upon 
his biblical convictions and he demonstrated great strength in that moment. In the face of cultural pressure and the consequences it would bring, Mordecai said, I will not bow or worship anyone but the one true God. Now Mordecai, after making it clear, he had no intentions of ever worshiping anyone other than the one true God, was immediately met with societal pressure and voices around him. Isn't it amazing as a pastor, this is one of the things that has boggled my mind. I have seen people strung out on drugs, abuse alcohol, and their life would be a complete mess. And nobody seemed to mind until they started going to church and started trying to clean their life up. And then all of a sudden it bothered them and they thought they were trying to be better than somebody else. And they were suddenly under the microscope for everything they said or everything that they'd done. I want to tell you today, when you draw a line and when you decide I'm going to live for God, you need to know right now there's a devil out there and there is people that work for the devil that will continually try to oppress you and come against you to bring you down. And so he immediately felt the societal pressure when he said, I'm not worshiping anyone with the true God. The Bible says the king's servants, which also worked at the king's gates. These were not strangers to to Haman or Mordecai, I should say. They worked with him every day. They were not people that he didn't care about. They were co-workers. They were friends who also served at the king's gate. He spent time with them every day, no doubt friends of his, peers. And yet they were pressuring him and squeezing him. Esther 3 and verse 3 through 4 of the Living Bible describes it like this. They asked him, why are you disobeying the king's commandments? The others demanded Day after day. (laughs) But he still refused. This was a man that was under pressure for his convictions. This was a man that said, I'm not going to compromise who I am. I'm not going to compromise what I believe. And every single day, friends, co-workers, associates were pressuring him. I want you to think for a moment the kind of crockpot of pressure that he was in. He had to worry about the acceptance of his peers and co-workers and friends. All of that was at stake. His job, his livelihood, the way that he took care of his family by making this decision, that was also at stake. His very life was at stake. Because apparently, as we have read, the king didn't mind disposing of people he didn't like. (laughs) He had no problem with that. And so here, Mordecai was defying the king's orders by saying everyone bow down to Haman. And he said, I'm not going to do that. His very life was at stake. Not only his life and livelihood, but he had to have known it would affect his niece, who was the queen, Queen Esther, who was also a Jew. And she would have undoubtedly held the same convictions. And so he had to have known in that moment As he was approached by Haman, and he said, you need to bow down right now. He knew, you know what? This is a critical moment. 
This is a critical time. This is not like every other day. All eyes are on me. Co-workers, friends, family, they're all watching me. And if I, and if I bow down right now, I can have all this pressure alleviated. What's the, it won't hurt anybody. What's the point? All he would have to do is bow and all this pressure would be gone. A lesser man would have thought, what would a little bow really hurt anyone anyway? It's just a small thing. It doesn't really mean anything. It's a simple gesture of respect. God knows my heart. All arguments that any person in that situation would have had with themselves as a means to justify this small compromise, I'm sure he had them in his mind. But you see, Mordecai was not like everyone else. He was made for the day that he lived in. God designed him especially for that moment and put in him what it would take to defy co-workers and friends and people that put pressure on him. He was not swayed by men's opinions. God had placed him in that critical moment because he knew he had what it would take to draw a line and be who God called him to be. He knew he had the strength the resolve, the determination to hold firm to his convictions. Regardless of the pressure he was placed in. Regardless of what he was going through. When God was searching for a man who had the conviction and the resolve to resist the evil of that generation, he no doubt hand-picked Mordecai for that moment. Brothers and sisters, in the moment we live in right now. Right now. I believe there is a generation and there are people sitting on these chairs today that they have never been more aptly described in the Bible than the generation we live in right now being described in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just as Mordecai was hand selected by God to stand against the pressures of immorality, can I tell you today, you have not flopped and floundered and just fell in here. You are handpicked and designed by God because he knows you have what it takes to shine a light in a dark world. Tell your neighbor, you got what it takes. As Mordecai was hand-selected by God, I stand here this morning confidently knowing, and I can tell each of you, you too have been chosen by God because He's never made a mistake. He's never made an error. He's never had to pull out the eraser. He's never hit the delete button. He's never made a mistake. You are here for a purpose. You are here for a reason. You've got what it takes to reach this world, your family, and to make a difference in 2024. 
You're just here and you're saying, Pastor, I'm just trying to get to heaven. I'm not preaching to you. I'm talking about people that said, I don't only want to get to heaven. I, I want to help my family get to heaven. I want my coworkers to get to heaven. I want to be, I want to be available to God. I don't want to just ride the gospel ship and hang on. I want to help somebody. I want to leave a legacy. I want somebody to say, I'm going to heaven because of them. I walked into the light because of them. If that's your desire, I'm preaching to you today. God has called you and hand selected you and placed you where you are at and he knows what he's doing God didn't have to scrape the bottom of the barrel to find someone to live in 2024 it wasn't like he had run out of people wasn't like he looked on the bench back there and he said, hey, you way back there, third stringers. He knew how close we would be to the coming of the Lord. And he knew how critical this moment would be. How important it would be. In the sales world, we call them the closers. Anybody can get up there and break the ice and tell a few funny stories. Anybody can go through the features and the benefits. But when you're ready in the most critical moment, when you need a world to commit to Jesus Christ, when you need someone to sacrifice their desires and surrender their life to God, you bring in the closer. You bring in the person that's passionate. You bring in the person that believes in the product. You believe. You bring in the person that can connect with this audience. Can I tell you, we are in the closing moments of God's time from coming back. The rapture of the church is right around the corner. And he has chosen you to come in at this critical moment to seal the deal. To close out the show and say hey I got what it takes I can make a difference I can be who God's called me to be you are made for these days I challenge someone here today to quit minimizing your potential the disciples when they saw 5,000 hungry men they said well all we got is this little boy with this little lunch and the scripture actually says, what is that with so many? With so many? Why do we do that? Why do we minimize what we have and who we are? Don't downplay your significance on the landscape of time. You are a chosen generation. Thank God. I'm sixth generation apostolic, and I thank God for all my pioneers. I love them. But can I tell you, God chose me to live in 2024. Thank God for the martyrs. We wouldn't be here without them. Thank God for the disciples and the apostles and the prophets. But God didn't choose them to close this thing out. He chose you and you and you and me. Why? Because you got what it takes. You're made for these days. Don't let the devil tell you, you can't live for God. You can't be a servant of God. You can't make a difference. That's a lie from the pits of hell. God has never made a mistake. And he brought you into this church this morning because you got what it takes.
There has never been a generation of people who has ever had more resources at their disposal than the people I'm looking at right now. In biblical times, if you wanted to spread the gospel, you'd strap on some wore-out sandals and walk for miles. If you were rich, you rode a camel. That just don't look comfortable. I'm getting to the point, I can't even have a vehicle without heated seats. <laughs> I go to buy a car and they start talking about how many miles this got on it and I got all that. I just ask one question, they got heated seats. <laughs> and yet, if you wanted to spread the gospel back then, you got to put on sandals, you got to ride a camel, you got to float in a boat, and if you read about biblical boats, every five minutes they were capsizing, turning over, shipwrecking. You wanted to gather a crowd, you had to walk around trying to get everybody's attention. And in your entire lifetime, your influence may not get outside of the little village that you lived in. Your whole life. But you, someone say me. This generation, with a few keystrokes on your smartphone, can reach more people than the apostles would have seen in their lifetime. You think that's an accident? You think God's surprised by that? Do you think God's shocked by that? No, he hand-selected you to live in this moment. He said, I'm taking the best. I'm taking the ones who got what it takes. I'm taking the ones who can, can draw a line against immorality and compromise. I'm going to take the ones that's got a backbone. I'm going to take the ones that's got conviction. And I'm going to give them the most influence. I'm going to give them the most resources. I'm going to give them the greatest sphere of influence. Because in that latter day, in that prophesied end time revival that we all know is going to take place, he could have had Peter, Paul, John, Matthew, or anybody else living in this end time revival. But no, he chose me and he chose you. Why? Because you were made for these days. You got what it takes. You can serve God. You can reach the alcoholic. You can reach the drug addict. You can reach the depressed. You can reach the suicidal. And you listen to pastor, this might be the very first time you walked into this church. I need you. This church needs you. This community needs you. Join with us. Be a part of us reaching this community. You don't think God was aware in that 2024 we would have the ability right here in Fuquave Arena to broadcast our services over the internet and villages in Africa could be hearing this message? You don't think he was aware of that? Not too long back I received a picture of a man who gathers a little group together in a straw hunt to watch our services online in Africa. Did Peter have that? Did John or Paul? Nope. Do you think that's an accident? Not at all. Now that's a great responsibility on my shoulders and your shoulders. But you know what? To whom much is given, much is required. 
And I believe he's given me and he's given you everything that you need to see an end time revival that will sweep across our generation and will lead up to the rapture of the church. And when you dance around the throne of glory, there'll be a long line of people behind you that when you rose to meet the challenge in this day and hour, you affected, you influenced, and you helped get to that moment. You got what it takes. You're made for this moment. Your circle of influence is far greater than the first century apostolics ever knew. Don't you know God knew this would be a possibility and He hand-selected each of you to represent Him in this generation? Despite you thinking, why in the world would God put me in this place? (laughs) I don't have what it takes. He should have picked somebody else. I've come to tell you today, God would disagree with you. (laughs) He doesn't make mistakes. You were made for these days. You may not see the potential. You may not see the possibility. You may have buried that promise. But I've come to preach to someone today. It's time to be who God called you to be. To rise to meet the challenge and say, I am going to make a difference. It's not just about going to church. It's not just about surviving. It is about helping somebody else get to heaven. I feel so passionately about this because I firmly believe, and I mean this with everything that's within me. I'm not just saying it. I believe there is an unrealized soul winner sitting on these chairs this morning that has the ability to fill up 50 more. I believe that. There's probably more than one. I firmly believe there's a stagnant saint that's been sitting stationary far too long, and yet they have the potential to be a dynamic servant leader within God's church. They're here today. And it's my job to dig them out. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I pray conviction pulls them out of apathy. I pray that conviction grabs a hold of them. Something inside of them says, hey, time is running out. I'm not getting any younger. I've got to make up in my mind to commit to God and God's church with everything in me. Pastor Barber, I believe there's an entrepreneur sitting on these chairs this morning that is hand-selected by God to live in this moment at this hour that will use his or her God-given giftings and abilities to financially advance the kingdom of God into greater growth. Look around you. We don't have a lot of room. And because of that, in the coming year, in the month of August this year, August of 2024, we are going to be partnering with Foundations Consulting Group. It's an apostolic pastor, but he's also the CEO of a uh, very successful stewardship and consulting group for the Joseph Hawthorne, and he's out of Wisconsin, of all places. Can you imagine that? Let me hear it from my Wisconsinites out there. Put his picture on the screen, if you would, gentlemen. We'll be partnering with him beginning in the month of August. He and our church family will be uh, launching a stewardship campaign to raise $350,000 for our new worship space uh, that will help us reach more people who need to hear this message. You're here for these days. 
God made you for this moment. Foundation Consulting Group just a few years back partnered with Pastor Brent Watson, Matthews, North Carolina, for what was going to be just an expansion, and they end up paying off their church in about a year and a half. When people catch the vision, and when they understand, you know what? I'm here for such a time as this. God has called me here. Then I promise you God can do what would normally be and what we will start out in a two- to three-year campaign, but I believe it's completely possible for us to complete that in 18 months or less. I believe that. I'm just crazy enough to think it's possible. But I've been doing this a while, and I'll tell you right now, when God says He can do it, He can do it. And all that we have to do is believe that He can do it and get on board, and it can take place. Come on, somebody. How many believe that we can double our sanctuary in 24 months? How many believe that we can get together, unify, rise to meet the challenge? I believe that we were made for these days. excited about that. You will hear much more about that as we approach the month of August. God spoke to me recently about this year. There was something very specific that he asked me and you to do this particular year. He is calling us as a church, and this is a challenge that I felt in the Holy Ghost. And initially, I was like, whoo, but the more I prayed about it, the more I feel like we can do it. God is calling this church to have 50 personal Bible studies going on at one time. Personal Bible studies. Now listen to pastor. That may be a Bible study at a coffee shop, over a break room table, on the tailgate of a truck, over the internet. I don't care. God has called us to be teaching 50 personal Bible studies at one time in this church. Pastor, I don't think that's possible. I do because you're made for these days. For such a time as this, it's absolutely within the realm of possibility because God wouldn't have asked me to challenge you with it if he didn't believe that you couldn't pull it off. So, I can hear some of you saying right now, well, pastor, I don't have any tracks. I don't have a Bible study chart. And yet somehow, put that screenshot up there if you would. Right here on uh, PentecostalPublishingHouse.com, there are 15 categories of Bible studies available to you, some costing as little as $2.50. Salvation Made Simple is a Bible study you can teach over a coffee shop table for $2.50. And so there's really no excuse for you to say, I don't have a Bible study, I don't have a Bible study chart, I don't have the resources, I, I don't know how to do that. And yet somehow you order stuff on Facebook every day. You order, you order your groceries online. Amazon shows up at your house 15 times a day. Come on, somebody. Ain't no excuse for us not to be teaching 50 personal Bible studies at one time. We got the resources. God has put us in the perfect hour. God has put us in the perfect place. You have what it takes. 
I challenge the Pentecostals. I challenge everyone in this room to rise and meet the challenge. And let's reach our community. Let's reach our city. Let's reach our family with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a part of my flame class, remain standing or please stand. And so if you're still not sure, how do I get one of those Bible studies? How do I order that? I promise you, if you will find one of these young men or young ladies and hand them your phone in 15 minutes, they can have one delivered to your house probably by the time you get home today. You may be seated. So I'm challenging you right now. God has called for you. He is beckoning you for such a time as this. I'm incentivizing every saint in this church, every person that's attending today, for every person that teaches a personal Bible study before the end of the year. I don't care if it's one hour Bible study or ten week. You teach, the reason I don't care is because after you teach one, one hour, brother, I'm going to tell you something. There ain't nothing like opening up the Word of God and sharing it with somebody. Immediately you know, uh-oh, this is what I was called for. This is what I'm here for. I feel fulfilled. I feel my purpose. I feel God calling me to do this. There's something powerful. There's something revelatory about that. You can't make enough money to replace that. Your boss man can't incentivize and promote you enough to replace that feeling. Because I want to tell you, God created you to reach people and to spread the gospel. Not just to make money. Not just to pay bills. Not just to live life. And so if you'll teach. I'm not worried about you keep on teaching. And so I'm incentivizing every person in this room. If you teach a personal Bible study before the end of the year, I don't care if it's one hour or a 10-week Bible study, for every person that completes a personal Bible study to someone who does not regularly attend this church or is not a member of another United Pentecostal church, I'll cook you a steak dinner here at the church. Actually, I'll probably have Elder Shaw do it, but I'll stand by and act like I know what I'm doing. I felt conviction just for a moment. I had to, had to get that right. Felt God say, no, you ain't going to cook that. I'll stand by and I'll show him how to do it. Not only that, I'm going to incentivize you even more. Parking is a premium in our church. You haven't noticed getting a parking spot around here is a good thing. You got to show up early to get one. And we're going to fix that, but that's where it's at right now. And so, at the end of the year, for every person that has taught a personal Bible study, your name will go into a hat. We'll keep a record of it. In fact, if you teach a personal Bible study, Brother Simpson, wave your hand really high. You go to that person, you give them the name of the Bible study that you taught and the name of the person that you taught it and the day that you taught it. He's going to keep record of it at the end of the year. Every time you do, your name will go in a hat and we will draw your name out. And the person whose name is drawn out, will get their own personal parking space where my pastor's parking space is at. I'm giving it up to you with the sign that says Bible Study Teacher of the Year. And every time you pull up into the parking lot, you can just wave like a celebrity. Excuse me, Bible Study Teacher of the Year is here. I got my own VIP parking. When you come in the front door, people's going to greet you and say, oh, it's the Bible study teacher of the year. <laughs> and so, I want to challenge you. 
There's no age restriction on that. And so I, I encourage you to commit today to getting your hands back in the harvest to meet the challenge of today to get God's Word into the hearts of as many people as we possibly can in the coming year. How many believe time is running out? We are running out of time. So I'm moving to a close. Despite the pressure around him, Mordecai refused to bow. Because he refused to bow down, he was not moved by the societal pressure. He was not moved by the people around him trying to get him to do something he didn't believe in. This enraged the man that he would not bow down to. And so he went to the king and he said, I don't know whether you know it or not, but there's some people around here that's not obeying your laws. Oh, devil, he's sly, isn't he? He ain't no dummy. He knew that if he could play on the ego of the king, which we have already determined was the size of Texas, then he could sway him in any direction to make it appear as if there was some grand insurrection against the king, convincing him to pass a law that would call for the destruction of all people that Haman deemed disobedient. The king went so far as to grant His signet to Haman. The mark on his ring which bore the full weight of the king's authority. Giving Haman the authority to kill anyone that he seen as disobedient to the king's law. So politicians with too much power have been around a long time. Essentially, he could declare war on all the Jews. Yet... In a twist of irony, the king did not realize that his own queen was a Jew. And he had just authorized and signed into law a commandment that not even he could reverse that could result in the death of his own queen. The writing of this commandment went into every province in the land. And when Mordecai heard it, the Bible says in chapter 4 of verse 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes, put on sackcloth with ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. And it came even before the king's gate. For none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Mordecai couldn't even go to work because he was mourning this commandment. And every province, whatsoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. This chapter of Mordecai's life reminds us that sometimes doing the right thing will cost you. Sometimes there's a sacrifice to be made When you do the right thing, there may be some pain involved. There may be some suffering involved. There could be significant sacrifice. And if we, me, and you are going to save our generation, our family, and our communities, it's not going to come without a price. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us time. Time that we could be doing other things that we like to do. Leisurely things. Things are not a sin. Things that's not immoral are going to send you to hell, but things that take up way too much of my time considering I got a world going to hell. Things we enjoy that we may have to sacrifice. It may cost us friends because that we care about what God thinks more than what we care about what people think. 
Like the people of God here in Esther in the fourth chapter, we may have to push the plate away. Come on, somebody. I could preach on that a while. We may have to weep and mourn and intercede like they did here and call out to God for our generation. I don't want to shock you today, but you might need to show up to a Sunday night prayer meeting once in a while. You're called for such a time as this. God's got you here for this moment. And I believe that you have what it takes. There's an unrealized intercessor in this room that could shake the halls of hell if they would just surrender and commit themselves to God. I wonder what would happen if everyone started cataloging how much time they watch Netflix. In the same amount of time they watch Netflix, they would talk to God. That's all. That one commitment. If I watch two episodes, uh, that's 20 minutes each, and I don't even know if there's any out there 20 minutes each anymore, 45 minutes each, then I'm going to spend as much time talking to God as I do watching that episode. I believe that commitment alone would turn our city upside down. I'm confident. And all you're doing there is giving God as much as you're giving everything else. Can I tell you, we are called in this moment, in this critical time, as things are wrapping up, to surrender to God and be who He has destined and called and designed His church to be. And so Esther sent word back to her uncle. and She said, you know the rules. Mordecai said, oh, Esther, you better go tell the king. You better do something. He's going to kill us all. Esther told Mordecai, her uncle said, you know the rules. I can't go to the king unless I'm invited. If you go to the king unless you're invited, you're dead. Now, I know people in our generation, they don't like these people showing up at their house uninvited. You ever had that person, you're lounging around in your pajamas, eating a bag of chips, and you look out, and they're pulling in your driveway, and you're like, what are they doing here? Now, you may not like it, but the king didn't like it so much, he'd kill you. Some of you are like, well, I felt like doing that a couple times, to be honest with you. And so Esther said, you know what? I can't go see the king unless I'm invited or he could take my life. And here we find our ever so important interaction between Mordecai and Esther. Esther chapter 4 and verse 13, then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Think not with thyself. Don't think about yourself. That thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Think about all of the lost. Think about everybody is going to perish if you don't go in there and do something about this. You've got a whole nation. You've got a whole group of people that will be lost if you don't do something about this. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth? I'll tell you who knows. God knows. I'll answer Mordecai's question right now. Mordecai, I'll tell you who knows. God knows. Whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai, I recognize the urgency of the hour. He was stressing to his niece in that moment that at this very moment, God has made you for these days. And if you hold your peace, if you're passive, 
if you're indifferent, if you're non-committal, if you stand on the outside and be a spectator to what God is doing, if you do that, God will probably deliver the Jews, but you and your house will be destroyed. That passionate message that came from a man whose throat was probably hoarse from crying and praying and whose strength was weak from fasting is the same message I echo today. There may have been a time when we could have held our peace. There may have been a time when we could have been passive and indifferent, looked the other way and assumed somebody else was going to do it. That time is gone. That generation is past. We don't have that option anymore. I repeat the words of Mordecai. At this time, God is calling you for such a time as this. Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you're new to this church. All I can tell you is you're not new to God. He knew you would be here today. And He is challenging you to commit your life to Him on a different level. I'm not in any way minimizing your relationship with God. I think there's good people here serving God. But what I know is God's calling all of us to elevate our walk with Him today. Because if all we do is what we've done, all we'll have is what we've had. But for such a time as this, He's calling us to a greater walk with Him. We no longer have the option of keeping our peace, minding our own business, keeping to ourselves. That day is gone. Time is running out. And as Mordecai told Esther, there's going to be an end time revival. And I'm telling you, but not every single one of us will see it. It will be to those who recognize and understand this time and commit themselves to God. As we sit here this morning, just as Haman was in the background plotting and scheming and devising a way to destroy all of the Jews, just as it was in 484 B.C. in 2024 A.D., there is a devil that's scheming right now as I'm preaching to destroy your family and you and your community. He's devising a plan. He's doing everything that he possibly can in the background. and Not so much even in the background anymore. In the face of us all. And we have to understand God has called me in this moment. We need more mothers praying on Monday. Someone say amen, mothers. We need more fathers here early for prayer and prayer and praying daily at their homes. <laughs> we need less division and more unity. We need less entertainment, more evangelism. Come on, somebody. We need less immature Christians coming to church for a back rub and more Christians picking up a Bible study chart and saying, I'm going to make a difference. That's what he's calling us for. 
We need less people flirting with the devil Monday through Friday and wanting a relationship with Jesus Christ on the weekend. We need people to commit and surrender and to sell out to Jesus Christ. Stand with me if you would. Mordecai said to Esther, we've run out of time. Time for games is over. I know you've been enjoying sitting at the palace. It's been fun eating the king's food and living it up. But God did not put you in this place, Esther, to sit around and eat the king's food. He put you on that throne to deliver your people. And I know we've all been blessed. I know you've been through tough times, but I think we'd all admit we're far blessed than we deserve. You got more in the bottom of your purse than what some people will live in a full year in a third world country. You got cars in the parking lot. You got houses you live in. You got food in your refrigerator. You got a job and your regular paycheck. You're blessed today. But I want to tell you, God didn't put you in that place for you to sit around and get fat on the blessings of God. Esther, he didn't put you on that throne to sit around and enjoy it. You're called for this. He placed you there for that moment. There would come a critical moment in your life where God would call upon you to deliver his people. And he, in 2024, is calling the group of people that I'm preaching to here today to say, I've been blessed. And because I've been blessed, I'm going to help somebody. God's been good to me. And because he's been good to me, I'm going to tell somebody about it. I've got a testimony and I'm going to share it with somebody. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a minute. Some of us have been sitting on the King's blessing for so long we've lost our hunger and lost our desire and lost our passion. We forgot that like Esther, we were orphaned and we were slaves to sin. It's time to be who God has called us to be. What has God called me, Pastor? He's called you to be a soul winner. He's called you to be a worshiper. He's called you to be a prayer warrior. He's called you to be an encourager. He's called you to be an inviter, a unifier, a peacemaker. What can I do today? I'll tell you, very easy. Two, two very simple things. Number one, in just a moment, walk to this altar and rededicate your life to God. And then number two, get out to that connect desk out there. And say, hey, what can I do to further the kingdom of God? What can I do to be a part of what God is doing in this last hour? Find somebody that you would encourage and help and lead to Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling you to do in this last hour. As they sing a song of invitation. I don't care if you're a guest here today. Altar calls are not just for church members. They're not just for guests. They're for everybody. In fact... You're already here. You're not a guest anymore. You're family. And we have family altar calls around here where we say, God, we've heard your word. And so we enact faith by stepping out from where we are at, making our way down to an altar. Is there more of God right here than there is back there? Not at all. But what it is, it's an act of obedience and it's an act of faith that said, I'm committing my life to God. If you want to do that today, I open up these altars in this prayer area for you right now.
God's called me pastor for this. I know he has. I've not been fulfilling my purpose in Christ like I ought to. I've been apathetic. I've been stationary. I've not been doing all I can. I'm changing that today. I'm committing wholly and completely. Come on, beautiful. Join those that are coming to this altar this morning. I want to be a part of what God is doing in this last day. Come on, where's my Esthers? Where's my Mordecai's? Where's those that say, God called me for this moment? I'm living here for a reason. I'm in this church in this moment for this purpose. If you'll meet Him, I promise you, He'll meet you. You'll commit to Him. I promise you, God will commit new anointing to you. With your eyes closed and your hands raised in an act of surrender. I surrender, God. Not held by my own Beautiful. Because I built my life on Jesus. Oh, yes. He's never let me down. I see people surrendering right now. I see people saying, I'm going to be a part of what God's doing. spending all my money working for the man. I'm tired of spending all my energy just trying to make a living. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. Commit to him. He won't fail you. He won't let you down. Reach over and pray for somebody next to you right now. Together with them. He's called you. He's appointed you for this hour. He's destined you for this day. Oh, hallelujah. 